Woo, man, I feel like these speakers are hot. Um, or maybe it's just me. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's family right there. Um, so anybody remember what last week was? Easter. Yeah, it's not a trick question. Um, it was Easter um, where we celebrated the um, uh, death, burial, and resurrection of our king, our savior, right? Uh, wonderful time. Um, typically, this is when, I, I love how Pastor Paul brought it out. This is one of the times where we all grab a pig and have some ham on Easter. Nice. Yeah. You know what we had for Easter? A ham. It was nice. Um, so the question I want to bring up to you, though, is what's next? Okay? What's next? And it's interesting because I've I've got some notes here. And ever since last night... <laughs> God's been basically telling me, the Holy Spirit, you're not using those notes. And I'm like, well, God, I, I prepped them. I, I really wish you'd let me use them because it's going to be a whole lot easier if I get to use those notes. But, yeah, I don't know how much I'm going to, I don't know how much I'm going to use of this. Um, so, on Thursday nights for the last seven, eight weeks, we've been going through the book called Crazy Love by Francis Chan. Not Jackie Chan. I did that the other day, like in class. Jackie Chan. Everybody just laughed. I'm like, no, it was not Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan did not write a book on crazy love. Although that would probably be an interesting book, um, Jackie Chan. Uh, but anyway, it's a really good book. I encourage you to read it if you have not, because it will really force you to reevaluate um, yourself and your relationship with God. Um, one of the very first things, the very first chapter is called Stop Praying. And I was like, what? I don't think that's right. And so it kind of took me off guard. And it, the whole point of stop praying is we have to stop praying um, at God and start praying to God. Because many of us have this idea in our mind that God is some sort of like genie. And he's just there to grant us our little wishes, right? Or that when we go through a crisis, that he's there just to pull us out. But we're going to live the rest of our life the way we want, right? So that we can say, okay, I'm going to go down this path. This is my choice. I want to go this way. Oh, man, that did not work out. God, could you help me get back over here? That's typically what we're using God for a lot. So we're using him for Jesus crisis instead of Jesus Christ. So if you read in the book of Acts and at the end of Matthew, so Matthew 28, 18 says, um, where is it at? So this is the last thing that Jesus said to, to the apostles, essentially. Uh, this was his great commission. And he says, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I want to go back to verse 19. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He did not say, come to church on Sundays. He did not say, gather together on Wednesdays and have a small group study. He said, go. 
Some people think that just attending church fairly regularly, and that's what it's expected of them, they believe that that's just what good Christians do. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, go. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need to go to church, okay? I'm here every time the doors are open. And it's not because Pastor Paul is such a wonderful guy that I want to spend so much time with him. (laughs) Although he is a wonderful guy, and I will probably be spending a lot more time with him this summer than I really want to. (laughs) But... I'm here because I enjoy the fellowship that I receive from everybody here. And I enjoy being encouraged by you guys. One of the things that we talk about on Thursday nights when we all get together is is how much we just encourage each other just by being there, right? It's just there's just an encouragement. They encourage me by coming and participating. And I get to hear different points of view. And I get to hear things that maybe I hadn't even thought of before. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't just speak to me. Right? It speaks to everybody else too. And so maybe I'm just not hearing God sometimes and somebody speaks something into me through them and I'm encouraged by that. So going to church fairly regularly is important. But that's not all. He says, go. Some people will give money to charity and to the church as long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. I just had a recent conversation about this, about myself, about giving out of the abundance. And I was, I was um, prompted and asked, well, Michael, when you give, are you giving out of your abundance? And I said, well, yeah. I mean, I still like to go out and eat. And there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes when the Holy Spirit begins to press on us that we need to give, out of a sacrifice, then we need to give out of a sacrifice. Right? So it's easy to give when you have a little extra and it's a little safe to do so. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, I'll give a little bit more. I'll give a little bit more because it's, it's safe. Nowhere does it say in the Bible that your walk is going to be safe. In fact, if you'll read it, it actually speaks the opposite of that. It says that it's going to be difficult because you know what? When you're on the path that God has planned for you, the enemy does not want that. He is going to try to stop you tooth and nail, scratching, climbing, kicking, biting, throwing everything he can at you because he knows that there is a lion inside all of you. Remember, we just got finished singing about it. There is a lion inside of you that is trying to get out there and it's supposed to try to hunt. It is supposed to hunt down the enemy. It's supposed to hunt down lost souls, right? But we can't do that if we don't realize that. Mm. Some people tend to choose what's popular over what is right when they're in conflict. They desire both to fit in at church and outside of the church. They care more about what people think of their actions, like Church attendance and giving. They want people to make sure that they know that they're going to church. Mm, Okay, I'll say it. I love on Facebook when people get on Facebook and say, I'm at church this morning. I love you guys. I really do. (laughs) 
I really do. But my goodness, are, are, we, are we saying that we're at church because we want everybody to know that we're at church and we're a good little Christian? Or are we at church because we actually want to make a difference? And I understand that there's a group of us that initially we come to church because we need to be fed. But I'm telling you, if you've been coming to church for a while, you should be feeding yourself by now. You're not coming to church just to be fed. So there's no reason to post on, the, on, on Facebook, Instagram, whatever your social media platform of choice is, and say, <laughs> I'm at church, guys. Here's my morning picture. I'm going to stop. I will never be up here again. So we have to be careful about whether or not we're trying to fit into life or we're trying to fit God into our life, right? We have to be careful about that. And by the way, I'm, I wish I could delete Facebook. Um, there's nothing wrong with social media. I, I get it in principle. But Let's not use it for a platform of, of trying to popularize, popularize ourselves. Right. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'll beat that enough. I'm going to leave that alone. <clears throat> it's more important about what God thinks of your hearts and your lives. What is your motivation? What are you doing, right? Um, there, there are a number of people, like on those social media platforms that I was talking about, that they actually use this as a place just to love and encourage there is someone in this church, and I'm not, I'm not going to give any names, um, and this isn't a bad thing. The only time they get on social media is to hit like or love. They don't post status updates. They don't say what's going on in their life. They don't get on there to vent or to use it as a, as a, um, uh, as a soapbox. They only use it to like and love statuses and you know what that tells me about that person that they're just there to encourage somebody they're just trying to make them feel like oh that thing that you posted where you said you were going through something yeah i'm gonna like that that picture that you posted of you and your family while y'all were out on vacation oh i love that that's awesome i'm glad y'all got to spend some time together as a family okay i don't know why i'm spending so much time on that some people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They only want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They don't genuinely hate sin, and they aren't truly sorry for it. They're just merely sorry because God is going to punish them. Some people don't really believe that there's a new life that Jesus offers that's better than the old sinful one. So I can remember, and I think I gave this example um, on Thursday night, so if you were there on Thursday night, you're going to hear it again. I can remember when I was a kid, and me and my brother would get into arguments or fights or whatever, and at some point, they would come up to us and say, you go to apologize to your brother. Did I really mean that I was sorry for smacking him in the face? No. I was apologizing because the consequences of not apologizing was I was about to get a, a leather strap to the backside, okay, or I was going to get grounded in some way. 
So, yeah, I look at my brother and I go, I'm sorry. I'm not really sorry for what I did. I'm sorry because the consequences of what I did is about to happen to me, right? And so you see a lot of, a lot of Christians begin to act that way. It's not that they're sorry for their sin. They don't actually see anything wrong with what they did. But they're apologizing because there's the consequences of what they've done, and that's what they're more scared of, right? It's not that they want to have a meaningful, loving relationship with the Father. It's that they just don't want to spend eternity in hell, okay? And I'm telling you right now, that's not an authentic relationship. I love, I'm, I'm going to embarrass my parents. I love my parents. My dad spanked me when I was a kid. I have a loving, meaningful relationship with my dad. But if all I did was fear him because I thought I was going to get a spanking, what kind of a relationship is that? Um, Marley, can you pull up John 10.10 for a second? I gave her like a million scriptures, so she's going to have to scroll through there. There. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they have life and that they have it more abundantly. See, when we're truly sorry for what we've done, it's not just about having life. It's not just about getting the get-out-of-jail-free card. Now it's about having that authentic relationship. Do you see what I'm saying? Because now you're going to have life and you're going to have it abundantly. Now we go back to where it says in verse 19, uh, this is Matthew again, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you to do. Now we have a game plan because when we begin to live this out, just like it says to have that life more abundantly, when we begin to live out that abundant life, things start happening. Things start changing. Nations begin to change. Right? People's lives begin to change. Just last Friday night, we were preaching at Teen Challenge in Ruston. Such an awesome group. This is an induction center, which means a lot of the men that are there, they've only been there for like a week, maybe. They come in, maybe they're right out of jail. This is their last, this is their last stop before going to jail again. There was a young man there that has actually been there for a few months now. I remember praying with him a few months when we first started going there. Young kid, 18 years old. He was mean mugging everybody in the room. I mean, seriously. Like, he had, he had some things going on. He, he, he did not want to be there. He didn't like anybody. He didn't want to interact. Nothing. Well, of course, <laughs> that's the one Michael's going to go to. Right? Oh, the guy that's mean mugging? Oh, yeah. We we to have a talk, buddy. And so I go to him. I spent probably 15, 20 minutes praying and talking with this kid. Okay? Now, no, I'm not, I'm not promoting myself at all. I'm just saying he needed somebody to talk with him. To explain to him what was really happening and what was about to happen in his life. We didn't know if he was going to be staying there or not. Fast forward about three months later, we were there last night preaching, and this same kid during praise and worship, he was like this. He was like this, folks. He was smiling. He was interacting. He was writing notes. He was keeping track of everything. He was asking questions. It's the transformation of God in people's lives when they realize that they have sinned, and now they're sorry for the sin. 
It's not just to saying, okay, I'm sorry for what I did. Let's just move on with this. Now it's, oh my God, I cannot believe I did this. And then when God comes in and Christ restores them, because there's complete restoration there, right? He didn't die on the cross just so you could be free from this or free from that or free from whatever. He said it's complete freedom. All the bonds have been broken. All the chains have been broken. You are not the same person. You have died and become a new creation now. Jesus is no longer in the tomb, folks. That was last week. That was so last week, right? That was so last week. Some people are moved by stories of people who do radical things for Christ, yet they don't act. They assume that such an action for, are for extreme Christians, not average ones. Some people call radical what Jesus expected. Um, some people call radical what Jesus expected of all of his followers. See, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be radical. See, Pastor Paul gets up here and he talks about going to Africa or going to Mexico. And they talk about all these wonderful miracles that happen and the fact that they are transforming a nation and in a continent. And we all look at Pastor Paul and go, oh, my goodness. How does he? I can't do that. Why can't you? I'm in the process now of going with Pastor Paul this summer. I will say this. It looks impossible. But it's not. And I know it's going to happen because God's told me it's going to happen. Mr. Paul's told me it's going to happen. <laughs> so it's going to happen. And I'm super excited about it. Because I'm in a different point in my life now where I'm tired of sitting on the pews. I don't want to sit on the pews. Do I want to be up here in front of everybody staring at me like this? Absolutely not. That, that, this terrifies me. I don't want to be here. But I have to be here. Do you see what I'm trying to say? When we talk about that book, that crazy love, that's what crazy, authentic love looks like. Stepping out and doing something for the Savior who saved me and said, you are so much more. He said that you have been called to a greater purpose. And I'm not saying this about me because I already know this. I'm pointing at each and every one of y'all out there. You have been called to a greater purpose. We should all want to be radical for Christ, doing whatever it takes. Shred up the get-out-of-jail-free card. Pay to get out of jail. You know what I'm talking about? Monopoly, you can pay 50 bucks to get out? Okay, got to be a sacrifice. Some people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, coworkers, or friends because they don't want to be rejected. They fear others more than they fear Jesus. Or they don't want to make people uncomfortable by talking about private issues like religion. Y'all ever heard that thing before? It says never talk about religion or politics. Right? I disagree with that. I really do. Because if you'd ever talk about religion, you can't do this part right here that says go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Right? You can't do that without talking about religion. Now, I'm not talking about religion This kind of religion. Oh, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. 
I'm not talking about that religion. That is a spirit of religion. What I'm talking about is an authentic relationship with God. To one where you can be so in tune with his spirit that when he says, go and do, you don't say, okay, God, let me get, let me get my keys out and find the right key to do this. Oh, look, the bus is left without me. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that when he says go and do, you go, all right, let's do this. And you're pulling out your keys while you're walking and trying to figure this out. It is a radical transformation that has to happen. Some people gauge their morality or their goodness by comparing themselves to the secular world. They feel satisfied that while they aren't as hardcore for Jesus as so-and-so, they are nowhere as horrible as that guy down the street. They are happy with being in the middle, right? Oh, I can't, I can't do like those guys do. Those, those, guys, those guys are all over the country. I mean, these people are going out in the streets and preaching, and I, I can't do all that. But, hey, you know what? I'm a lot better than that guy down the road that doesn't even go to church at all. Or... What about saying, oh, I sit somewhere in the middle of the church and I give my tithe. I'm a lot better than the guy that doesn't give any of his tithes. It's no different. Yeah, we're, we're going to leave that one alone too. No, we're not. We're not going to leave that one alone. All right? So they don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be thinking about the fact that I don't want people to think that I'm, I'm weird I don't care if people think I'm weird. Look, this is being recorded right now, put on Facebook Live. I'm not going to go too far into it because I don't want a whole bunch of backlash from certain individuals. Not because I'm scared, it's just I'm just being smart here. Most of you guys know that I probably work at a Catholic school. I'm surrounded by a lot of Catholics. Great people. There are some really great people there. I love them. Okay? And they are loving, good people. But it's interesting. I'm the IT guy and the IT teacher at my school. I'm a logic-minded, analytical person. I am not a guidance counselor. I don't teach little kids, so therefore I don't know how to be all coddly and all that like Miss Ginger and love you so much. You're such a sweet little human being. No, they're little demons. I'm sorry. I teach middle school, which is almost as bad. Sorry to the middle schoolers in the room. Um, But don't apologize. Um, But it's interesting how my office, which has nothing but computers and techie garbage stuff that nobody cares about, has become the place where people come to talk. Teachers will come in my office to talk with me and cry in my office. Students will come to me and open up about things that are happening in their lives. People will come into my office and go, Mr. Stanley, it's just different in here. It's just, yes, that's the Holy Spirit that you're feeling. And I'm not special. Every single one of you have the ability to do the same thing wherever that you're at in your workplace. And so, yes, I will pray for a child. I had a a child come up to me a few years ago. She was just 
having a hard time. I could tell. I got her to open up. She was talking about some difficulties that she was having at home. And I said, may I pray with you? She said, sure. She didn't know what this looked like. That's not the same type of prayer they pray in their church. And I prayed with this young lady. She had a moment. She cried. Sent her back to class. Apparently, she told the religion teacher about our interaction. I got a visit from the religion teacher who said, Mr. Stanlan, um, I'm sure that was a very sweet moment, but um, this little girl, she probably need to have a, a woman be the one to pray with her, and there's a way that that needs to be done. And I went, well, I'm so glad that you feel that way, but that's not how that's going to happen if she comes in my office. And I said, that little girl's life got changed because of the power of God. I don't care how it happened. I don't care if she was 9 years old or 99 years old. I don't care if she was male female, identified as a dog. I don't care. I'm going to pray with them if I feel like that they need prayer. She didn't like my answer. She doesn't work at that school anymore. Hello, Facebook. Some people say they love Jesus and he is indeed a part of their lives, but only a part. They give him a section of their time, their money, their thoughts, but he isn't allowed to control their lives. They're just giving him their leftovers. Leftovers. I kind of like leftovers sometimes. Sometimes. Most of the time I want something different and new, right? Imagine if you had leftovers all the time. Mm. Think about how God must feel to get our leftovers all the time. You know what? We get up in the mornings. We go about our normal routine. Day can't start till I get my coffee, right? Day can't start. So in other words, God, I can't talk to you till I get my coffee. Day, day, day gets started. You get your shower. Get your day going. Maybe you talk to God on your drive because you've got the time now, right? Okay? You go to work all day. You spend all day at work, at school. You get home at the end of the day. You're exhausted. You go out to eat because you just don't feel like cooking. <clears throat> you get home. You watch some TV. Look on the office, you know, need a good laugh before you go to bed. Oh, come on, people, the office? Surely. All right. Um, Allison, we'll have to talk later. It's okay. Um, just to unwind a little bit. And then before you go to bed, you're like, oh, that's right, I need to read my devotion. You break out your devotion. You read your two little paragraphs in your devotional. You say your prayer as you fall asleep. Lord, thank you for this day that you gave me. Thank you for... And you're out. It's a good sleep. It's a good sleep. But honestly and truly, didn't we just give God our leftovers for that day? We just kind of fit him in wherever he could. Um, I didn't know if I was going to do this um, this morning or not. I did it Friday night at Teen Challenge and... 
I, I figured since they had to endure it, you guys are too. One of the things that um, I will do during the course of my day at work, I'm in an office all by myself. Okay, I know, right? I'm in this little dungeon. Um, the only windows that I have are like 20 feet up in the air, and it's all blinds, and it's closed. And even then, there's an awning that goes over the window, so you can't even get any light in, okay? Um, I mean, it could be a tornado outside. I would never know it. But I'm in there all by myself most of the day. So it means this means that I have a lot of conversations with God during the day. Now, does this make me super holy? Absolutely not. Okay? Most of the time it's me complaining. Okay? I love the fact that God is merciful and graceful. But sometimes, and this is something that I've had to work on, when I first started in my walk, I was not a worshiper. Like, to see the worship team up here doing what they do, man, that is, that is awesome. But that was not me. I mean, I'm the guy is in the very back during praise and worship is doing this, right? Right? That was me for a long time. I'm back there. That's, that's the Pastor Paul Sway. That's what he does back there, too. Give him a hard time. Um, swagger. <laughs> But I've been purposely trying over the last few years to be a better worshiper. And, of course, I know you can worship in prayer and you can just worship, you know, in in many different ways. But I wanted to be a vocal worshiper because there's some scripture in here that, that talks about, you know, singing with instruments, praising and worshiping God. So now, every now and then... I'll just begin to sing whatever comes out of my mouth. And so oftentimes, do not make fun of me, people. Oftentimes, this is what it looks like. I love you, Lord. Oh, I love you, Lord. I'm not a singer. That's why I'm not up there. Okay? But to God, that is a beautiful sound. Because it's just worship. I just said, don't make fun of me. It's a joyful noise unto the Lord. And it is most definitely a noise, okay? Clanging cymbals. No, I'm joking. More of a racket. A joyful racket. So my point is, is we need to make God a part of our lives, right? We're not just trying to fit him in to wherever he can go. The idea is that we need to be able to say, all right, God, you are going to be the biggest part of my life. That even though I am working at work, doing work so that I can come home and maybe provide for my family or pay my bills or sow into other ministries or whatever, that you're going to be a part of that day. doesn't matter what it looks like. Maybe it's singing horribly like I just did. Make him a part of your day. Some people love God, but they don't love him with all their heart, soul, and strength. They would be quick to assure you that they try to love God that much, but that sort of devotion really isn't possible for the average person. It's only for pastors, missionaries, and radicals. That's not true. Do you know what a pastor or a missionary is? They're a person. Are they anointed and called by God? Absolutely. Are you anointed and called by God? Absolutely. So why is there any difference? 
It's the same Holy Spirit. Right? You want to go into Corinthians and look up the fact that it says that it's the same Spirit? It's in there. Read Corinthians. I gave Marvley 30,000 scriptures. I think I've only used one. Some people love others but do not seek to love others as much as they love themselves. Their love of others typically focused is typically focused on those who love them in return, like family, friends, other people they know and connect with. And if there's a little love left over for those who cannot love them back, then they might give something to them. Jesus purposely went to the ones that could not give him anything in return. Do you see what I'm saying? He absolutely could have went and ministered to those people that could have been influential in his ministry. That could have opened pathways and doors to be able to get into certain temples or certain cities. But he didn't do that. God was the one taking care of all that. He was more interested in the souls. Some people will serve God and others, but there are limits as to how far they'll go. How much time, money, and energy they're willing to give. Marley, can you pull up Luke 18, 21? This is Luke 18, 21. It says, and he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now, this isn't Luke, is it? Yes, it is. Go ahead. 22. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. 23. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. 24. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of God? Verse 25, For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This is a scripture we've all heard before. This is the rich man asking Jesus what he needed to do to be saved. And he's not actually talking about the fact that he wants us to give up everything, although that may be a requirement. It's basically a testing of the motivation of the man, right? Are you willing to do these things? The man wasn't willing. There's a limit to how far they'll go, how much time or money that they're willing to give. It should be limitless, folks. There is nothing that I have that doesn't belong to God. He has given me everything, my family, my health, my car, my house, my job, my savings account. <laughs> what that be? Um, everything. The people in my life, he's given this all to me. So why in the world would I ever want to say, well, God, I can't give you that. Why not? It's his already. Give it to him. You know, and it's the interesting thing is he only asks for 10% when it comes to our finances. 10%. He's saying, if you'll commit to give me 10%, I'll let you manage the 90%. With my help is what he's saying. Some people don't want to even do that. And by the way, that's not just finances. That's your day. You give him a portion of your day, he says, okay, I'll manage the rest of it. I'll put favor and blessing on you. But see, we get that out of order. We were like, okay, God, I, 
I'll give you a little bit of my day. Well, guess what? You're only going to get a little bit of his uh, blessing and favor. I want all of his blessing and favor. I can't do it on my own. I can't manage the 90% by myself. I'm not that smart. I want God to manage the other 90% of my life. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm losing some people. I'm like looking out there right now and I got people doing this. Or maybe that's just their normal face. I don't know. Love you. Isn't it okay? Isn't that the right thing to do? Like whenever you say something mean, you just say I love you at the end. It makes it okay. Right? Okay. I'm just making sure. Love you. Bless your heart. Yes. Bless your heart. Just kidding. JK. All right. Some people think about life on earth more than they're in eternity in heaven. They're constantly thinking about what can I do on earth to make myself more successful, give myself glory, instead of thinking about how can I give God glory. What can I do with what I've got to give God glory? Uh, Marvely, can we pull up um, Colossians 3.2? Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Things on the earth are going to disappear. There was a show that I used to watch on Discovery Channel. I can't remember. I can't remember what channel it was. But it was a show that they had about, about 10 years ago called um, Life After People. Did you ever see this show? Um, it was just basically a show that showed what happened over time if everybody left the earth all at one time. Like something happened. All of mankind was gone, and the only thing left was our buildings and animals and whatnot, right? And it just showed all of these different places, and it would show, like, the Capitol building, or it would show, um, you know, like, uh, Washington, D.C., or it would show, you know, like a certain building, a historical Statue of Liberty or whatever, and it would go through and it would say, okay, after the first year, this would happen. After five years, this would happen. After 10 years, this would, and it would just go on and on and on and on. And finally, it would get to a point, say, after 1,000 years, after 1,000 years, this planet had reclaimed itself. There was nothing standing that man made. Think about that for a minute. That means that everything that you put your hands to can just go away. If God's hands are on it, it will never go away. So that means, should we be paying attention to the things um, here on this earth or on the things up above? C.S. Lewis wrote, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the world that they have become so ineffective in this world. They're only thinking about the here and now. They're not thinking about what's happening in the future. Some people are thankful for their luxuries and their comforts, and they rarely consider trying to give as much as possible to the poor. I'm not going to harp on that anymore. They're quick to point out that Jesus never said money is the root of all evil, only the love of money is. Oh, gosh, that scripture has been quoted so many times. Well, you know, the love of money, uh, excuse me, money is not the root of all evil, it's the love of money. 
And they usually will say this in defense of their actions of not giving. Untold numbers of some people feel called to minister to the rich. Very few feel called to minister to the poor. It's just the reality. I was talking to somebody one time, and they were like saying, how can I get a missions trip to Hawaii? I know that there's probably some unsaved people in Hawaii. There's unsaved people everywhere. But are you just wanting a free vacation to Hawaii? Some people will do whatever is necessary to keep themselves from feeling too guilty. They want to do the bare minimum to be good enough without requiring too much of themselves. They ask, how far can I go before it's considered a sin? What's that bare minimum line that I can get to? Okay, so is drinking a sin? No, I don't think we're drinking is a sin. Being drunk is a sin. Is being drunk a sin? I don't know. Maybe I can get to that mark and let's find out. I'm going to get drunk and I'm going to see if God like says something to me, right? So they're constantly trying to find where that, that line is at, right? Oh, the Bible says thou shalt not lie. But is it a lie if it's for the greater good? Let's see. You know what I'm saying? Like you're constantly trying to figure out what the bare minimum is to get by. I have some students right now. We're doing a project in our class. They're supposed to be doing something on Google Slides, making a slideshow presentation. And it's a little story that they have to make up. And every year that I do this project, half of the class will raise their hand. Mr. Stanland, how many slides do we have to have? They want to know right up front what is the bare minimum to be able to get through. And I'm like, I'm not going to give you, it's, it's however many slides it takes to tell your story. So like four, five, six, I'm not going to give you a number. Because if I give you a number, that's the number you're going to do. Right? Have you ever watched the movie Office Space? One? Two, three, okay, few. Okay, there's a scene, there's a, the, one of the, the actresses in there, she works at this restaurant where they have to wear flair. Okay, little buttons that say something or whatever on it. And it's this flare that they have to put on there. Just, you know, it's just fun little gimmicky thing that they have at the restaurant, right? Well, her boss comes up to her and says he's very concerned about the amount of flare that she has on her uniform. And she says, well, what's the problem? I mean, I have my flare. He goes, yeah, but are you happy with how much flare you have? She says, well, I have... I have this and this. It's like, yeah, that's, that's like the bare minimum flair. Do you want to think about adding some more flair on? And it just, it's a funny scene to me. And, and, it, and the whole thing, it's, it's talking about the fact that, that um, she's only doing the bare minimum because she really doesn't even care about that job. She's doing this because it's just a job. The guy is zealous. I mean, he's, he's the, the, the supervisor, the manager of the store. And so he's thinking about the store. And I've always thought that that's supposed to be a funny interaction making fun of the manager of the store. But to me, the flip is actually true. He's the only one that cares. She doesn't even care. So we're given the bare minimum. Some people are continually concerned with playing it safe. They are slaves to the God of control. They constantly want to be in control. 
Some people don't live by faith. Their lives are structured so that they never have to. You're not even giving God a chance to work a miracle. Everything that you do, you've got safety nets put in place for everything in your life. We have savings accounts, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't be prepared. But I'm just saying we're not giving God an opportunity to be able to step in and do something, right? This is the reason why it says, go, therefore, make disciples. When you step, start stepping forward and you take those first couple of steps, you don't know what the next steps look like. That's where we have to put our trust in him. And say, you know what, God, I'm willing to go and do without a safety net. Whatever that looks like. And it doesn't look like just coming to church on Sundays. It doesn't look like just putting your 10% in the, uh, in, the, in the offering bucket. It looks like so much more. And I'm really not trying to beat down and harp on everybody. People, I am preaching to myself here. I really am. Y'all can ask Pastor Paul. Don't ask Pastor Paul because he'll, he'll, he'll start telling out on me. But, but I've had to have conversations with him before about these very same things. So I'm preaching to myself. Some people probably pray before meals and at bedtimes, but that's where their communion stops. There's no relationship. This room can be packed and everybody's talking. If my wife is on the other side of the room, I can pick out her voice. Because I know her. I know my wife because we spend time together. I know her voice. Even I can pick her out. All these people. And if all I can see is the heads, I can pick her out. Because I know what her hair color looks like. I know what her body build looks like. I definitely don't know. We know. (laughs) Sorry. I know what her voice looks like. Sounds like. Told y'all it's my last time. Because I have a relationship with her. If I want to hear God's voice and I want to know what he's telling me so that I need to know, go take that step, go do, make disciples, whatever, I can't hear that voice unless I'm communion in communion with him. I need to be able to recognize his voice. And say, is this my voice? Is this the enemy? You see what I'm saying? I can't recognize those voices unless I get to know him. How do I get to know him? Just spend time with him. Don't do the bare minimum. Do that next step and begin to create a life where he is the middle of it. He is the center of it. That you're not the center of it, and you're trying to figure out where he's supposed to be in amongst all of it. Put him in the center. Last one. Some people probably drink and swear less than average. But besides that, they really aren't that much different from the average unbeliever. There was a little meme or joke, or I don't even remember what it was. It was going around for a long time, and for some reason it stopped. But it basically said that um, if being a Christian was illegal, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If we can't tell, and I say we as in people, if people can't, tell something's different about you 
you're no different than everybody else. Think about how that much, how must that make God feel? God loves. He loves you at your worst. He loves you at your best. He can't love you any less. He can't love you any more. Why can't we do the same? It's possible. And you know why I know it's possible? Because God is love. God is in us. Therefore, we are love. We have the same capacity to love that he does because of the spirit that lives within inside us. So I encourage us. I think we need to reevaluate our relationship with God. So I want to give us an opportunity this morning to respond. Hopefully God spoke to at least one person in here. Hopefully that happened. I know God spoke to me when I was putting all this together, and this isn't even what I planned for this morning. I went so off the rails, it's not even funny. But I want to give you an opportunity that if that's you this morning, and you feel like, God, I need to do something more, that you do that something more. Do something different. One of the things that we've been doing on our Thursday nights during our praise and worship time, I encourage everybody, do something different than you normally do. Whatever that looks like. If this is you during normal praise and worship, do something different. Dance. Sing. Do something different. Just one thing different. See if God doesn't move halfway. He is going to meet you halfway, and then he's going to say, come on, let's take the next step together. Could y'all play some... uh